Hello and welcome to the London School of Theology podcast. You are listening to our weekly chapel service. Today's sermon will be delivered by guest speaker. London School of Theology. Forming disciples. Resourcing churches. Impacting society. Today we'll be reading from Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 13. I'll be reading from the ESV version. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in, their, in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. And uh, such a pleasure to be here and to see all of you. I've been told that this, exam, this is exam season. So uh, students are preparing and faculty is probably busy as well. But thank you very much uh, for having me uh, to share God's word with you this morning. I selected this text to look at the theme that was given to me. The theme that was given to me was celebrating Christian community. And when Alison emailed, uh, I was thinking as we enter the month of May, we are closer to Pentecost in the church calendar. So I felt it was appropriate to look at Pentecost as a theme, as a framework to see how we celebrate Christian community. And so I want to draw sort of three implications for how we do that in today's context. So I want to sort of look at it in terms of identity. I want to look at it in terms of um, diversity. And then lastly, in terms of belonging. So you probably can tell I'm a Baptist minister, having three points for you to think about in that sense. Uh, so, So this text is one that we are all familiar with. As folks that attend church, uh, go to church, and as theological students who are studying, I'm sure we are familiar with this text. So it's, it's, not, it's not one of those texts that is obscure. It's one that we talk about all the time. But I've noticed that each time we talk about this text in church or other contexts, even in academic circles, the way we often interpret it is that Pentecost corrects Babel. Because, of course, at Babel, in Genesis 11, God disrupted the, uh, you know, the oneness uh, that humanity had at that particular time uh, because it was rooted in rebellion. It was rooted in self. 
it was rooted in ego, and so they were disrupted. So they, the nations, uh, they started having different languages. So most scholars will talk about this in the context of Babel is being corrected by Pentecost or is being redeemed by Pentecost. And I think that's brilliant, that's fantastic. But I think what is happening here, I think there is much more than just redeeming the languages in that sense. Uh, I'm gonna borrow a framework from a friend of mine uh, called Reverend Kumara Jagopalan, who is a South Asian theologian. David knows who I'm talking about. David has met him before. And he said, is there a different way we can look at this text, borrow a kind of an interfaith perspective? So just allow me to share a bit about this. And what he was saying is this, that for any Hindu, the ultimate goal of any Hindu would be to be able to read the Hindu text in Sanskrit. Uh, for, for a Muslim, the ultimate uh, goal would be to be able to read the scriptures in Arabic. And if you apply that sort of interfaith thinking, what was the sound they were hearing here? Because it talks about a sound in Greek, phoneo, which is where we get our English word phonic from. And verse 6, it says, and at this sound, the crowd gathered and were bewildered. What were they hearing? Or should we rephrase the question? What would they have been expecting to hear? Would they have been expecting God to speak in Hebrew? Would they have been expecting God to speak in Aramaic, which would have been more contextual because that was the kind of language Jesus spoke? What language were they expecting to hear? Because after all, the Tanakh, that is the Old Testament, the Torah, the Nevim, and the Ketuvim, was delivered in Hebrew. The names of God were delivered in Hebrew. Eishe, Aya, Eishe. I am that I am. Or, I am what I will be, depending on how you translate the verb to be there, Aya. So what would they have been expecting to hear? a monophonic God. But God disrupted their theology and inserted something different. God revealed himself as a polyphonic God, the God of the nations. And so here they are hearing different languages and we're perplexed. And we're thinking, what does this mean? We can hear God speak in our language. It was an affirmation of their identity and who they are. Because after all, language is powerful. You know, in the Western context, sometimes I think we reduce language to syntax, to grammar, to structure. But I think from a non-Western perspective, language is a worldview. Language is broader. Language is about identity. It's about who you are. And so here... It's a radical affirmation of the nations to say God is the God of the nations. God is polyphonic. They were hearing God. Identity. Here God was affirming their identity in what can be described as radical inclusivity. God was including the nations in his family, so that they can be celebrated. 
The second implication is around diversity. When we look at the people that were attending uh, this feast, they've come from all nations. Even though the majority of them were Jews, uh, you know, they, they were Jews, but they were different kind of Jews. It was a mixture of Jews who were born in the land of Israel and Jews who had come from diaspora. It's kind of like today, there are different kinds of Africans. There are Africans who are born in the UK, born in different parts of Europe or in the United States. There are Africans who are born on the continent. There was a mixture here, a mixture of those who have come. And so this sort of Jewish identity was not monophonic again. It was diverse. And of course, the Bible talks about there were proselytes, those who were converted to the Jewish religion in that sense. And they came together. And God chose this particular feast or festival to display his spirit, to affirm again that these are all part of God's people. Diversity. Here we see ethnic and cultural diversity being affirmed. And I think that is something that is very important uh, for our churches today. But at the moment, when I survey and look at the UK churches, there are different ways we do church. There are different ways we celebrate diversity, ethnic and cultural diversity in particular. Some churches do that through what can be described as segregational inclusivity. And what that simply means is this. Uh, the church is multicultural. There are different people from different nations there. But they hardly do life together. They kind of coexist in the same building on same Sunday, even midweek services, but nothing goes beyond those levels. So that is a kind of a segregational inclusivity. There is another one, the way churches function in a multicultural society, and that is a kind of a, what I call functional, functional inclusivity. And this is a scenario where we have a church or churches where Yes, they're thinking about issues of ethnic and cultural diversity, but oftentimes more as a window dressing to tick a box. To tick a box. An exercise to tick a box. But then there is another one which I call accidental inclusivity. This is where a church or churches suddenly becomes diverse, maybe because another church closes, or maybe because uh, another Congregation, they merge with another one, and suddenly that church becomes diverse. So the church is not necessarily prepared for it, or they are not ready for it, or people have moved into that area. At the moment, I have a lot of pastors who are calling me and saying, Israel, can you help us? We've just got families who are coming from South Asian background to our church. We don't really know what to do. Accidental inclusivity. But the idea where God wants us to go is radical inclusivity that embraces identity, the humanity of different nationalities and people, diversity. A third point, belonging. This scripture, as it continues, particularly towards the end of it, after preachers preaching and people were changed and converted, about 3,000 were added to the church, they started worshiping together, uh, you know, particularly towards the end, chapter 2, it talks about from verse uh, 41 to 
verse 47, when he started talking about the activities, apostles teaching, and etc. But there's a particular word there which I'm sure we are familiar with that describes their fellowship, konoinio, that brings together that sense of belonging in this new initiative that God has birthed, this new family, this new community, konoinio. But I noticed that actually the word konoinio was used twice. First, in verse 42, and secondly, in verse 44. In verse 42, it talks about fellowship. But then in verse 44, it talks about sharing all things in common. And then the verse presiding after that, verse 42, talks about them sharing things, those who everybody gave. There is a cost to fellowship. Fellowship goes beyond bring and share. Fellowship goes beyond picnic. Fellowship costs something. What is Konoino costing you? What is it costing you? And I like the way the Yoruba word describes this Konoino. It's very powerful. It talks about Idapo. And what that simply means is, this is talking about fellowship, but it simply means that you are joining that is so much bigger than you. You are joining something that is much more broader than you. And as you join this family, you are bigger together. What is konoino costing you? In the New Testament, there are different words that describes our sense of belonging, our community. Konoino is one. But others that we find in the New Testament is alelon, one another. Adelphoi, brethren or brothers and sisters. They describe our fellowship together in this radical inclusivity. And so Pentecost offers us a framework to be able to develop an ecclesiology that is rooted in radical inclusivity. And that way we'll be able to celebrate one another. We'll be able to celebrate the gift that God has given to us. It is my prayer that we'll be able to do that. Let us pray. Father, we thank you because you are a wonderful God. We bless your name because there is none like you. Father, we thank you because your word is powerful and it speaks very deeply. Lord, I pray that as we've shared briefly about fellowship, about a sense of belonging, about ethnic cultural diversity, about identity, I pray that as your people, help us to put these things to practice in our various churches and contexts. I pray that let your spirit uh, birth in us the desire to enable this, to put this into use, Lord. Let your spirit move us to hear other perspectives, to hear other insights, so that we can celebrate your community in this side of the world. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the London School of Theology podcast. To find out more about LST and our courses, please visit our website 